So my boss texted me and said, send me one of your funny jokes. I replied, I'm working right now. I'll send you one later. He replied, that's fantastic. Send me another one. Uh, if a person spends five days a week, eight hours a day, from their mid-twenties until retirement age, they will spend 90,000 hours of their life at work. And that's just a 40-hour work week, which would be a dream come true for some of us, right? For the vast majority of us, our jobs are a huge part of our lives, aren't they? And we have lots of different jobs here at WinBAP. For example, someone works for Sheets, another one works for Lowe's. Someone works for a judge, another one for a government contractor. Someone manages a limestone quarry, another a cabinet company. Others, their home. Someone works for an attorney. Others are attorneys. Someone here teaches elementary art. Another, third grade. And even another, freshman history in college. Now you tell me which one's the hardest out of those three jobs. Here's the question for all of us, though. How does your daily work tie in with God's ultimate purpose in the world? How does your daily work tie in with God's ultimate purpose in the world? In his book, The Gospel at Work, Greg Gilbert kind of explains the problem. Many Christians fall victim to one of two main problems when it comes to work. They're either idle at work or they make an idol of their work. Isn't that good? They're either idle at work or they make an idol of their work. Both of these mindsets are deadly misunderstandings of how God intends for us to think about our employment. Gilbert goes on in his good book, The Gospel at Work, which I have two copies, and I would be happy to give you one if you would like it after this worship service. He says, here's the solution. There's another way, a better way to work a way that is made possible by the work of Christ on the cross. In the gospel, Christ himself secured salvation from our sin, satisfaction for our souls, and significance in our work in such a way that we are now free to worship God wholeheartedly as we work, to love others selflessly in our work and to trust God completely with our work. The gospel brings significant meaning to the seemingly mundane and provides a supreme purpose for every employee and employer on the planet. Our sermon text this morning puts before us the incredible opportunity that we have as Christians to live out the faith through our daily work and gives us practical instructions on how to do that. So Christian workers, my prayer is that we will all adorn the gospel at work. Please take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This morning our sermon text is verses 9 and 10. Friends, this is the Word of God. Titus 2, verse 9 and 10. 
Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Would you read that last phrase in verse 10, beginning with the words, so that, would you read that with me please out loud? So that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. This is the word of God. Amen? Amen. So you probably noticed that these instructions are given by the Apostle Paul to bondservants. Now, in the ancient Greco-Roman world, of which the island of Crete was part, the vast majority of households not only had a husband and a wife and children, but they also had servants. Slaves made up more than one-third of the population in the Roman Greco world. One-third. Slavery in that culture was different than the horrors of American slavery. So even the translators of the ESV Bible that is at your feet wanted to emphasize the difficulty that every Bible translator has in in translating this word. The word is doulos. It's slave. And in this particular case and many other cases, it's translated bond slave or bond servant, depending on the context. Let me read from the preface that the translators give in that black Bible at your feet, they say this. The word slave currently carries associations with the often brutal and dehumanizing institution of slavery, particularly in the 19th century America. In New Testament times, a doulos is often best described as a bond servant. That is, someone in the Roman Empire officially bound under contract to serve his master for seven years. When the contract expired, the person was freed, given the wages that had been saved by the master, and officially declared a freed man. Now, that doesn't lessen the severity and the difficulty that many of these bond servants faced. They were owned by masters. Their life was not their own. Bond servants that Paul addresses here within this household and in, within this church are slaves who are under the obligation of a master. They had no freedom to change their situation. And their quality of life was completely dependent on the nature and disposition of their master. If they had a good master, they may have had a very peaceful and good life. But if they had a harsh and demanding master, then their life was not their own. And they would have been treated very, very poorly. Well, you might say, so then Titus chapter 2, verse 9 and 10 is to bond servants. We don't have any slaves or bond servants here in our congregation, so this doesn't apply to us. Well, come on. Maybe true, but being a bond servant on Crete is definitely different than anything any of us experience, thankfully, but it does apply to those of us who have jobs, to employees, to employers, to anyone who works and serves under an authority. The direct application is to bond servants, but we can learn from it principles of which the gospel has implications for our daily work, especially as it relates to the relationship between the servant, employee, and 
their authorities. So here's the message of this text and of my sermon in one sentence. Christians, live out the faith at work in such a way that you adorn the gospel. Live out the faith at work in such a way that you adorn the gospel. So I want to start at the end. Notice at the end of verse 9 and 10, Paul gives the purpose. And when we understand the purpose, then we understand the instructions that were given and the motivation that Paul is using uh, with these bond servants. The purpose for living out the faith at work at the end of verse 10, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You see the word so that? It's the purpose or the goal for the bond servants living this way. In fact, just in this little section, verses 1 through 10, Paul has given three purpose statements. This is significant. Every time he gives an imperative, which is a command, Christians, you should live this way, he gives the purpose for it. The end goal. He gave three of them so far. Look at verse 5. Women, both young and old, are to live, look there in verse 5, so that the word of God may not be reviled. Look at verse 8. Titus is to model and teach so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Did you notice that the first two purposes were in the negative? So that the word of God may not be reviled or spoken against. And then so that an opponent might be put to shame and not have anything evil to say. Negative. But now here's one. That's all positive. The third purpose statement, verse 10, so that in everything they, meaning the bond servants, may adorn the gospel of God, our Savior. When you put these three things together, we understand that the whole new covenant community, the way they live out the faith on Crete has a direct impact on the reputation of the gospel, especially to those who oppose the gospel. Church, the way we live, employees, the way we work, our attitudes and actions have a direct correlation and link to the reputation of the gospel in our workplace or in our home. And notice in verse 10 that the purpose for living out the faith is not only so that, but it is so that they will adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. To adorn something is to make it attractive, or um, it usually has to do with with, um, uh, jewelry and clothing or outerwear. It's to do credit to something. It's to commend something to others. The attitudes and the actions of the bond slave are to show the beauty of the Christian faith and demonstrate, listen to this, demonstrate its effectiveness to transform Cretans into Christians. Now, this is very important. The faith is already beautiful in and of itself. We don't make the Christian faith, or the gospel of Jesus Christ, beautiful. But we do demonstrate its beauty through lives that have been transformed by it. So just like that ring that mounts your engagement diamond, ladies, just like that ring, Christians are called to live in such a way that shows off and holds up the beauty of the gospel. To whom? To God for his glory. Christian bond slaves are to hold up 
the beauty of the gospel to whom? To their masters, to the rest of the household, to anyone with whom they come in contact. Jesus said in Matthew 5, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Our lives are a direct reflection of the gospel and we're to live to bring credibility through the transformation in our own lives. Well, what is it about specifically about the faith that they are adorning here? Again, look, look at your Bibles, verse 10, so that purpose they may adorn what? The doctrine of God, our Savior. Now, the word doctrine is just simply the word for teaching, and it's been used several times already. Paul has talked about false doctrine false teachers, and he's talked about sound, healthy, balanced, true teaching. He says that bond servants are supposed to live in such a way that they adorn the teaching that God is our Savior. God is our Savior. Now, that's a little bit Odd, isn't it? Because most of the time, if I were to say, who's your savior, you would say, Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus is God, but the second person of the Trinity is usually the one where we talk about Jesus Christ, our savior. But Paul is intentionally emphasizing God as our savior. Why? Because he's rooting this new gospel there on the island of Crete that's just kind of come to the island and beginning to spread, he's rooting it in thousands of years worth of Jewish history and Old Testament scriptures that say things like, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from mine enemies. Didn't Rob read for us this morning that blessed be the Lord and exalted be the God of my salvation. Paul is emphasizing that it is the God of Israel who is the savior of his people. We could go to literally hundreds of Old Testament scriptures and see God as the savior of Israel. The false teaching that was most prevalent on Crete at that time seemed, according to chapter 1, to be emphasizing God as lawgiver and judge. And you need to live a certain way to please him. Paul is emphasizing, yes, God is lawgiver and judge. And it is impossible to live according to his law, which is why God is a God of grace, who is what? Our Savior, Isaiah 25, it will be said on the final day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Praise God, brothers and sisters. Bond servants are to live out the faith in such a way that they adorn the teaching that God, the God of the Old Testament, the God of Israel, has graciously saved his people from their sin through the Lord Jesus Christ, God's son, God's servant, God's warrior king, which we just spent 42 weeks in Isaiah seeing the beauty and glory of Jesus, God's suffering servant, did we not? Adorning the gospel at work. It's really significant, friends, that Paul would include bond slaves in his instructions. This is the help. This is the downstairs 
And yet, he's including the downstairs in the same letter that he includes the duke. That teaches us some things. Including the bond slaves tells us that the church has no class system. Everyone is equal in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Does that mean that when you became a Christian, you stopped being a woman and I stopped being a man? No. It means that it makes no difference that you are a slave or that you are free when it comes to your position in Christ. You're the same. Including bond slaves says that Every single member of the church and the household, listen to this, even the lowest members of society can glorify God and can adorn the beauty of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ through their respective womanhood, manhood, or servitude. Well, maybe so far in this sermon, you have felt like your job is just about as lowly and insignificant as a bond servant. I don't know. You say, look, I put widgets on a stick all day, every day. That has absolutely nothing to do with the gospel. Well, friends, maybe this silly little story will, uh, will help just a little bit. Imagine, just imagine for a moment that there is a good and sovereign king who rescued you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into his kingdom of light. Just just imagine if that scenario existed just for a minute. A good and gracious king rescued you from sure damnation in the kingdom of darkness and brought you into his kingdom of life. You don't deserve this grace. You didn't earn this grace, but by it, now you are a citizen of the kingdom of this good and gracious king. Now, now imagine if that same king, your king, assigned various roles to various citizens of his kingdom. Not in order to be part of the kingdom, not in order to stay in his kingdom, but just simply as a citizen of the kingdom and the joy of being part of this good and gracious kingdom. The king assigns some to manage the finances. The king assigns others to build the wall. The king assigns some to teach the children. The king assigns some to work at the DMV. Probably not. Regardless, while that king has assigned everyone a different position, some seemingly better than others, we all have one thing in common, don't we? We have been given our assignment by our good and gracious king. This is his will for us. And regardless of what we're doing, our job has an inerrant purpose. We have meaning in what we're doing because we're doing it ultimately for our king. Gilbert writes, who you work for is more important than what you do. You work for someone beyond your boss. You work for Jesus. 
If you keep that one thing in mind, it will change the way you think about your work. Why? Because when glorifying Jesus is your primary motivation, our our work, regardless of what the particulars are, becomes an act of worship. We're freed from thinking that our work is without meaning and purpose. We're equally freed from thinking that our work holds some ultimate meaning. Our engagement with our jobs becomes one of the primary ways we express our discipleship to and love for our king. Friends, your work matters. And your king has not only assigned you this job, but he has called us to adorn the gospel, the doctrine that he is our savior. And Christians, from as early in this sermon as I can possibly do it, I want to emphasize that adorning the gospel can never be done in the power of your own self-determination. Adorning the gospel can only come from Christ in you. Just as we have with the men and the women, we do with the workers. We see that these instructions to every member of the church are surrounded by the gospel. In chapter 1, Paul shows the error of do more, live better, false religion. And then after these instructions, look at chapter 2, verse 11, which we will look at next week together. Paul explains the foundation and the fuel for older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and every servant in the church to be able to live out the instructions that he gives. Verse 11, because the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the great, pardon me, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, why? To redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people. Men and women, bondservants, for his own possession, who are what? Zealous for good works. Friends, the fuel to live this way in your work comes as you go deep into the grace of God for you. And you don't make an idol out of it, nor are you idle in it. But you see that the way you work is your opportunity to worship God and adorn his gospel at work. So how do we do it, Paul? Paul's instructions to the bond servants show us five ways that we can adorn the gospel at work. Five ways that Christians adorn the gospel at work. So let's take a look at these, please. Number one, bond slaves, employers, employees, anyone under authority in your work, We adorn the gospel at work by being submissive to authority. By being submissive to authority. Do you see that at the beginning of verse 9? It's the main exhortation. It's to be submissive. To be submissive means to line up under your authority. It's to recognize the chain of command in your workplace. And interestingly enough, for those of you who like grammar, it's significant 
This verb is in the middle tense, which means you do this to yourself. Submit yourself. Subject yourself. Don't be made to, but submit yourself to your master. And so it's willing and voluntary submission to your authority in everything. Well, what about in every way that is possible for a Christian to submit without sinning? Because you have a greater authority in the Lord. Listen, it was common for Christian bond servants to have non-Christian masters. Probably far more common for them to have a non-Christian master than it was for them to have a Christian master. And often, because they're the lowest class, because they are the help, because they are either paying off a debt or have been, um, you know, prisoner of war or something like that, it is often that these bond servants that Paul is talking to here were treated very, very harshly. Now, maybe you have a harsh boss at work. I doubt whatever we experience here in America is harsh compared to what they experienced, but they can certainly serve as a model to us, can't they? And Peter and Paul both encouraged the bond servants to submit to their masters even in harsh conditions because it's a particularly beautiful display of the gospel. Now, time out. If you're in a harsh condition at work, what can you do? You can find another job. You have that freedom. Bond servants, they couldn't give two weeks' notice. They were under obligation seven years, 14 years, maybe a lifetime based on their situation. They had no option to just find another master. They had to live with whatever one they had. So listen to what Peter says. You might want to turn there. First Peter chapter 2, verse 18. Servants, same role, same word. Be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Why? Verse 19. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Why? Verse 21. Look at this. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Paul tells slaves under harsh masters, you have a particularly unique opportunity to display Christ, the beauty of Christ who willingly suffered in our place for the glory of God and the redemption of his people. Again, If you're suffering, especially if you're suffering tremendously under a harsh boss, look for a new job. But in the way that we endure people sinning against us and in the way that we endure unjust, unfair treatment in the workplace, 
we adorn the gospel of the suffering Lord Jesus Christ. Adorn the gospel at work by being submissive, even when it's not fair or just. Paul seems to expand in the next four on that main or exhortation because you can see submission in all of them. So he seems to expand uh, by giving four practical descriptions. They're in a chiastic structure of contrasting pairs. Maybe you noticed this. The pairs go with each other. The first pair is positive, then negative. The next one is negative, then positive. A chiasm. Positive, negative, negative, positive. Look there in verse 9b through 10. Bond servants are not to be, uh, pardon me, bond servants are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. There's two sets. Well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. So five ways Christians adorn the gospel at work for us. Number two, adorn the gospel at work by being well-pleasing. Well-pleasing. Would your boss say that you are a well-pleasing employee? Do you please your boss by meeting his or her expectations? Christians display the gospel through Diligence at work. God has called us to this. We're working, yes, for them, but we're working for our king. Let's put our hand to it. Colossians chapter 3 famously says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Not just your boss. And when glorifying Jesus is your primary motivation at work, remember what Greg Gilbert told us. It becomes an act of worship. Number three. Employees. Adorn the gospel at work by not being argumentative. So on one hand, we're called to be well-pleasing, and what does that look like on the contrary? Being argumentative. Talking back. Questioning the instructions because you're irritated by them. Refusing to carry out instructions. Do you have an employee that way? Workers adorn the gospel by what they say, and often what they don't say. Sometimes we want to argue back, don't we? But we put our hand over our mouth and we're not argumentative. Can you imagine the daily battle that these bond slaves would have with that? I mean, their life is not their own. They can be told to do anything at any time. And they're obligated to their master. Maybe you feel that way too. Are you agreeable or argumentative? The gospel can be put on display by being well-pleasing to your boss. Number four, the second pairing. He begins negatively and then he ends up positively. Verse 10, adorn the gospel at work by not pilfering, not stealing. So we would be right to assume that most of these bond servants were very poor and they had very little to care for their own families. And we would also be right to assume that these servants probably worked in the kitchen or went to the market or operated the farm or managed the finances and didn't just have need, but had opportunity to take some of their master's stuff for their own purposes. Their need 
plus their access would have been a tremendous temptation to take a little bit here and there. And it'll never be noticed. But when we take something that's not ours, it's called stealing, isn't it? Even if we have a good purpose in mind. I think this is easier to do than we might imagine. I drove a Pepsi truck for three and a half years in my early 20s. Imagine me with my Pepsi uniform on, out there on a route truck, delivering pallets and pallets of Pepsis, Mountain Dews, Dr. Peppers to Martins or whatever grocery store you might frequent. Well, I regularly traded six-packs of drink with the Krispy Kreme driver for Krispy Kreme donuts. I regularly traded six packs of drink with the Lay's chip driver when I got the munchies in the afternoon. And I regularly, when filling one of those vending machines, I regularly took 50 cents out of the vending machine and popped it into the candy bar machine right next to it to get a Snickers because I, along with all normal people, love Snickers. They satisfy. And no one would ever know. How many times have you lost money in those vending machines? They're never accurate. So 50 cents here and there? A buck 25 for a bacon, egg, and cheese at Hardee's? No big deal. Do you know how many of those drinks on that truck get damaged? And so if a carton, I mean, if a case is missing, a six-pack, nobody can tell. But when you take things that are not yours for your own purposes, what's that called? Stealing. I was a thief. God brought conviction to my heart. And he showed me my sin. And I confessed it to him. And I confessed it to my boss. Which was nothing compared to confessing it to my wife. And after repenting, I repaid back Pepsi with what I felt like was more than I owed. So that I could make things right. That's an example of pilfering. You can imagine that these bond servants who had little or nothing of their own might be tempted to do that. That doesn't even get into how much time we might steal from our employers by being lazy or looking at TikTok or YouTube or ESPN. Should we move on? Yeah, I think so. Christians, we have the opportunity to adorn the gospel by not stealing, not stealing from our employers, even if it's a little, even if you think it's undetectable. God has saved us from that. God will provide our needs. So, the positive. We, number five, adorn the gospel at work by showing ourselves to be trustworthy. Showing ourselves to be trustworthy. Look at verse 10. In contrast to the pilfering, but, contrast, showing all good faith. Now, you might naturally think that all good faith means that I'm supposed to show what I believe in some kind of a good way. That's not what it means. It's not talking about referring to the Christian faith, what you believe. Rather, that's saying showing all faithfulness. It's showing yourself, in contrast to pilfering, to be faithful with your master's stuff, to be a trustworthy employee. And notice that Paul says, we don't just say this in our interview, but we show this throughout our employment. Showing emphasizes demonstrating trustworthiness by our actions. Friends of all people, Christians ought to be the most trustworthy employees in the company, should we not? 
We work for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So let me just sum up Paul's exhortation to the bond servants here as applies to our daily work. Summary. Rather than being idle at your work or making an idol out of our work, Christians should view their job as an assignment from our king. And the king has called us to adorn the gospel through our work. Our attitudes and actions at work are directly linked to the credibility of the faith. Christians who are insubordinate, mediocre, contentious, dishonest, and irresponsible reflect poorly on the gospel, do we not? But Christians who are submissive to their authorities, well-pleasing, not argumentative, who do not pilfer, but show that they are trustworthy, they, like a diamond ring, hold up the gospel and show that it's beautiful and that God has saved us from self-serving sin and made us new people. Why? Why does this adorn the gospel? Because this is the gospel. Jesus was submissive to God's will. Jesus was submissive to God when he looked into the cup of God's wrath in the Garden of Gethsemane and said, if there's another way, please let this cup be taken away from me. But what? Not my will be done, but yours. Jesus was submissive to God's will. Jesus was well-pleasing to his father. Two different times God spoke in that audible voice from heaven and said at his baptism and at his transfiguration, this is my son. What are the next few words? In whom I am well-pleased. And do you know what the resurrection of Jesus was? It was God's Shout that the life of Jesus is well-pleasing to him. That the sacrifice of Jesus is well-pleasing to him. Jesus was not argumentative. No, we read earlier that Jesus, when reviled, did not revile back. Jesus never took for himself, but he sacrificed himself on the cross for you and for me. And by that, Jesus demonstrated that he can be trusted. There is no scripture that speaks to the glory of the servant Jesus Christ, like Philippians 2, and I close with this. Listen to how these kinds of, 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 of attitudes and actions that we've discussed here today in Titus 2 are portrayed in Philippians 2 through the life, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit... Complete my joy by being in the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing, Christian, from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Have 
this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we look to Jesus, God's servant, to rescue us from self-serving and sin. And may we look to how Jesus served God so that how we work adorns his gospel at our work. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for humbling yourself, for taking upon yourself the form of a servant and sacrificing yourself for us. Thank you that your sacrifice has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of light. We're secure and safe forever. King Jesus, you have placed all of us in various assignments. My prayer is simple. I pray that by your grace, you would enable us to adorn the beauty of your gospel at work. May we do this for your glory. May we do it for the good of every place in which we work. And may we do it as a witness to the effectiveness of the gospel to change self-serving sinners into servants of the king. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.